hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I, of course, am Mr. Warren Hayes. Thank you all for joining me here for another action-packed, well, I, let's not get carried away, but another very busy podcast where there's a lot to go over right here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast feed as well, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Stitcher, Podbean, wherever. Thank you very much for listening, for tuning in. Um, outside of the regular uh, 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 housekeeping that I like to do, I do have an announcement to do this week. Uh, and, um, and that is in, in two weeks' time, the Mr. Warren Hayes Show podcast will not be recorded at the same usual times that uh, it happens. No, we are moving to Tuesdays instead of Thursdays for the live recordings. As you know, I record live typically on Thursday nights at youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. I'll be recording live on Tuesdays instead. And instead of doing it at 9 p.m. Eastern, I'll be doing it at 7 p.m. Eastern. So, hey, maybe that'll be the perfect opportunity for you to come and hang out if you've never had the opportunity to do it before. That'd be great. I'd love it. Um, and basically what that will mean is that the podcast will be available for audio uh, for audio listeners on um, on uh, Tuesday evenings now, and uh, the on-demand video will be available on YouTube the next day, so on Wednesdays instead of Fridays. So you're getting me earlier in the week. I think overall that's a big, big thing. And the other thing that I'm changing as well, this is another big thing. The, I've decided that I'm going to give the AEW Dynamite deep dive recap that I do every week. I decided I'm going to give it its own podcast, its own little review show that I will be taping the next day uh, after a Dynamite, so on a Thursday, that I'll be taping and releasing on that day as well. I spend a lot of time, <laughs> let's be honest, deep diving into Dynamite every week because look, I make no bones about it, it's my favorite weekly televised wrestling show uh, on, on national television because that's where you get things televised. Um, so, uh, you know, as I was listening and reviewing, you know, stuff I do, I'm like, look, there's so much stuff I don't talk about because I spend a lot of time on Dynamite every week. Why don't I just give that its own little thing? And if there's major events happening on Dynamite, I'll talk about them on the podcast, but you won't get that deep review unless you listen to the Dynamite review podcast. So that'll be something that will exist on, uh, on YouTube on, um, that'll be, that will exist on YouTube on on the on Thursdays and on your podcast feeds as well on Thursdays. So it all turns out as it's going to be more content for you all of you who who follow subscribe uh, to what I do and 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 it's maybe a little way to show some uh some uh, appreciation and also you know in the idea of keeping things as diverse as possible in the topics that I cover especially on the podcast on the on the main Mr. Warren Hayes show. So that I can talk about more things going on in wrestling than, you know, always the same thing, maybe. Look, I, the, I, I want to spread as much love as possible. And I appreciate the love that you already give back. Uh, so, hey, why don't you give this video a like right now or a five-star review on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, though, not Apple Music. I don't, I'm not sure I'm there. Or a five-star rating on Spotify. Anything you can do to show some love that would be very appreciated. And if you can also show some love by becoming a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel right here. And if you do, you get access to my members only streams that happen 
And, 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 and those are live streams with members only, which is why they're members only streams. You see how that goes? So uh, it's a great way to show some support and you get some extra content. We get to chat a little more and it's good times. It's good stuff. And all this podcast here tonight, we got a lot of good stuff and a lot of good times to talk about. We're going to review uh, Extreme Rules. We are going to review Dynamite, of course, Battle of the Belts, uh, New Japan's Declaration of Power, busy stuff, busy week in wrestling. Thank you for being here. Let's get right to it. Here's something nice about Bill Goldberg. Robin Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. Here's an online ad for Goldberg's gym. For sale. Locker room. Excuse me. I'm going to start this over. Robin Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. Here's an online ad for Goldberg's gym. For sale. Lockers for gyms, good condition, only slightly dented by headbutts. Robin Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. So the issue is, this is, this is why, like it's not necessarily the technical issues. The, the fact that I flub it then creates an expectation. Then you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Then you're like, then everyone's like, oh boy, Warren has to do the joke over again, so it's gotta be, it's gonna be really something special. Jokes, jokes on you, motherfuckers. Um, hi everyone, welcome to the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. Uh, so I ran a poll <clears throat> before the show, uh, before the show started, uh, when we were, uh, discussing, you know, all sorts of things on the pre-stream, ran a poll for everyone who showed up here, asking what we should start with tonight. And 52% of the viewership, uh, decided that we should start with my Extreme Rules review from the WWE Wrestling Sports Entertainment Company based out of Connecticut, uh, United States of America. We're going to start uh, by chatting with that, which is a pay-per-view that happened um, this weekend. Uh, a show that... No, look, I... I know a lot of people... Thought it was really good. And I thought it was a fine show. I thought there were some... I, I thought there was one particular highlight. And honestly, as far as matches go, and frankly, I think everyone, everything else sort of was either fine, you know, like fun, well-worked matches, or just not good. So, you know, on a six-card... On a six-match six card... How deep can you go into this and say, you know, it's like, how deep can my feelings be torn? Well, you're about to find out. Show opened up with the good old-fashioned Donnie Brooks six-man tag team match where the Brawling Brutes, made up of Butch, 
Rich Holland and Sheamus defeated the team of Imperium. This was my match of the night. I think it's the match of the night of pretty much everyone who watched it. I don't think anything came close. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't think anything came close. Uh, the uh, the Imperium during this match triple, triple teamed the baby faces for a good part of it, creating heat and some good heat. In other words, you know, we have people saying, oh, well, they're, the heats are, the, the, the heels are taking their time and they because like, they're building heat with the other, but they were actually building some good, proper heat for the big babyface comebacks. And that's why this match, I think, worked so well. Um, Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni da Vinci, I am so not used to calling them that. Uh, they do the running uppercut powerbomb to the floor. Once Sheamus, though, gets back in control of this match, all of the uh, the brawling brutes go bonkers on Walter. Uh, Sheamus applies the sharpshooter because of what happened on SmackDown the night before. Because Sheamus, you know, thought that Walter tapped, but apparently you're supposed to tap three times uh, to make it a tap, which is... Absolutely a rule that does not exist in WWE that has never existed, that has never pulled out, never been pulled out, doesn't even exist in UFC. I don't know what this rule is. You got to tap three times. A bunch of people coping with some, inventing some weird shit, uh, but uh, it, it, you know, it does not exist. It's not a rule that exists. Um, but they did the sharpshooter spot sort of as a callback to what happened on the night before. Pete Dunne does a moonsault off the top of a stack of barrels, which was cool. Walter eats the white noise through the commentary table. Good, strong, excellent, fun action, hard-hitting, fun plunder match. And you see, I know WWE can put on matches like this because we just saw one. And everything that's been involved with... Look, if you've been listening to my show for any amount of time, you know... How much I like Sheamus' work in WWE. I think he does a fantastic job. He's been doing a great job for the better part of two years. He's been carrying some of the best matches. He's legitimately in a career uh, 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 revival, which um, which uh, uh, which has really come to fruition ever since he stopped that terrible angle with with Jeff Hardy. He's been uh, he's been impeccable. Everything he's been doing has been fantastic. Uh, and this career resurgence that he's having is, um, it's been going on for a bit at this point. So I'm, and you know, they they stopped trying to can him into a heel role, which I think is great. I think the brawling brutes are entertaining. They're just, they, they're just dudes want to come in and fight. And isn't that what we want from our pro wrestlers? We just want them to come in and fight. That's what I want. Anyway, as far as brawls go, as far as a fun plunder match goes, this was it. Match of the night. Uh, one of the strongest matches that WWE has put on all year. I don't think anything touched this. Um, uh, I, I honestly don't think anything touched this tonight. I really don't. And 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 uh, I think this is the, the best match that WWE's put on since... Sheamus and Walter at uh, 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 the uh, Castle Clash, at the Attack Castle, the, cla- the Clash at the Castle attack. That's the, cash, the Castle Clash. Clash at the Castle. It's great stuff. No nonsense finish on top of that. And this is crucial. 
No nonsense finish. No fuckery. No, you know, didn't tap three times. No ropes. Like I know it was a no DQ match, but you know what I mean. Like no bullshit. We just we we got we got ourselves we we got ourselves a, a finish. And I appreciate that. I really do. Good stuff. Now we go from something that was excellent to something that was mediocre. Where Ronda Rousey defeated Liv Morgan to become the new uh, SmackDown Women's Champion. The stunk. They did a hey. They sure did. The, they did their best to to get the to get the memes out there to get people you know gifing doing the giffies and putting things out on you know for all those you know those that that the horny horny Twitter horny wrestling Twitter. You know, because they were, man, they were swatting each other as asses with that baseball bat, weren't they? And, oh, swat. Oh, this is a thing now. It's a thing in WWE now. Like, you don't want to go full BDSM because that could, that, that could, you know, uh, sh- shiver some sensibilities. But if you, if you imply it without outright showing it, then, then we're cool with that, right? Ronda has a geet coming coming to the ring and she she throws it at Liv to blind her. And it's a tiny geet. Ronda wins by sitting on Liv's head. That's how I saw it. Um, Ronda stinks. She brings nothing to the table. I haven't seen any proof that she's moved any needles, any metrics for WWE. Uh, she's uh, she's a media hire because she's known outside of of her wrestling. Uh, and but uh, she's uh, she's terrible. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Me. That's pretty much it. Um, that's what this match was. Look, this match stunk. And uh, and 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 don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone fool you otherwise. Um, and don't let anyone tell you that that Ronda is a is a uh, is a plus for the women's division. She is not. She is a time sink. She has no charisma. You'd think that after this time she would have picked something up, but she is a disagreeable uh, uh, vacuum of a, of a person that is should not be in the positions that she's in. And there you go. I, I don't know what else to say. And guys, gals, my non-binary pals, I've been telling you, WWE didn't believe, doesn't believe in Liv as a champion. They never did. She was never booked strong. Let's let, look. We like to do this sometimes on the Mr. Warren Hayes show. We like, you know, when 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 a champion, uh, when a champion uh, loses a title, we uh, go back and we uh, we take a look at the uh, uh, at the reign, right? We take a look at, uh, you know, we, we do a little post-mortem kind of thing. Liv Morgan won the, um, uh, won the, uh, uh, um, uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship title on uh, July 2nd, 2022 uh, by uh, cashing in her money in the bank thing when, um, when Ronda was, um, when Ronda just went through um, an, an actual match, and uh, and Liv Morgan just ran in for the for the shitty win. Then she defended the SmackDown Women's Title um, 
a, a, a full month later at SummerSlam where she uh, she pinned Ronda Rousey as she as Ronda Rousey was tapping her out. So it was on that moment right there. That was the red flag that everyone should have been like, oh, well, she's they don't they have no faith in her. They're not going to have her defend the titles. They're not she's not gonna hold this title for for an extended period of time. She's toast. And you will notice she has not, she did not defend the title at all on TV in any type of match, right up until Clash at the Castle, where she defeated Shayna Baszler, uh, in a match that was basically Shayna Baszler being a proxy for Ronda Rousey. Don't get yourself lost in the details, folks. Shayna Baszler is the closest thing to a to a, a Ronda Rousey type wrestler. They leaned into it to say, look, we're going to show that Liv can do it by beating another MMA-focused wrestler like Shayna Baszler. Well, she defeated her, but I wouldn't say in, in grand style. It wasn't exactly a, a, you know, a, a, a top-form defense. And then she loses it at Extreme Rules uh, in, in, a, in an awful match. Again, we're, we're not going to sit around here and sugarcoat it. This was a this was a bad it was a bad match. Um, a completely uh, um, a completely unremarkable, boring uh, uh, reign. I know a lot of fans of Liv Morgan are going to you know point out all the media appearances she did and how good she looked with the belt and so on and so. Forth. Sure, but she. She didn't, you know, as far as the core product goes, the one that you're supposed to care about, which is wrestling, uh, she didn't do jack with it. And again, this is not a knock on, on Liv herself. This is how she was booked. This is how she was presented to us. WWE was true to themselves. They, they basically did the same thing with, uh, with Big E last year. When he was uh, Raw Champion. Was it Raw Champion? Whichever champion he was. Not Raw Champion. Uh, 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 WWE Champion. He wasn't the Universal Champion. When he was WWE Champion. Excuse me. I had a massive brain fart there. Uh, when he was... Uh, he, you know, it was the same type of situation. The first time he comes out with the belt, he loses. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, it's like... Book your champion strong. They're supposed to be the top of your division. Oh, but she's the underdog. Yeah, but at some point, the underdog has to look strong. And the first time she comes out, not only does she lose, but she, not the first time she comes out with the title, she wins, but she wins also while she's tapping out. That's not a good look. And that should have been the warning for every live fan to be like, oh, we're screwed, everyone. We're we're done. They're, they're not they're not gonna they're gonna not gonna respect live here and I can pretty much promise you again because we have precedent we have similar uh, uh use cases that we can compare this to Liv Morgan will never sniff a singles title again in WWE she'll she'll be tag team champion sure absolutely she'll win Queen of the Ring or or the Queen's Crown, whatever they want to call it now. Uh, she'll win a Money in the Bank, maybe. Like, but she will never 
touch another singles title again. She's going to be a Naomi. She's going to be a Carmella. Going to be someone who it was hurt their turn. Someone to just transition while waiting for the big shows. While waiting for the big events. And uh, and that'll be that. But she's she's not she's not going to hold a singles title in WWE ever again. Mr. Fantastic, it's nice to see you. And welcome to the chat. Then we had uh Karrion Cross defeating Drew McIntyre in a strap match. Boy, this this Karrion Cross guy, let me tell you. Huh? Boy oh boy, such pomp and circumstance when he was called back. Boy, G Willikers. He had positioned himself. He was right up there and saying, Roman Reigns, I am coming for your title. And boy, oh boy, people were like, boy, howdy. This guy with the, we really like his, um, his, his hourglass. And, you know, and we, you know, he, he they were, did, they did him wrong with the, with the, 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 the Roman centurion get up and uh he's gonna be great now. I don't know why WWE sort of it's a it's a it's an interesting company because you know I've talked multiple times in the past how it's a company that has that has trouble building uh, uh that it has trouble building um uh, uh baby faces right creating legitimate baby faces but then again it's like you know when you see who who's in charge of creative at the time you're like he doesn't know what a good baby face is right a good baby face might just be an asshole you know whatever anyway but it's strange because it. I feel like WWE also has difficulty building like strong heels, and when I mean it, when I, when I talk about a strong heel, I mean a guy who is going to run in and who is going to be dominant. He's going to demolish and doesn't need trickery or you know um, you know uh, uh, trickery or shenanigans to win a match. And, you know, I I don't exactly remember in the most minute and precise detail in regards to carrying cross matches in NXT, but I'm pretty sure Scarlett wasn't necessarily a, an important proponent of his involvement, of his victories when he was NXT champion, so on and so forth, right? Or I, I could be mistaken, yeah, I'm, you know. Because it's the same thing with Bailey, and we're going to talk about Bailey as well. Bailey comes in and she says, "You know, we're, I'm bringing in this. I'm building this faction of women who are going to be in control of the, of the division. We're called Damage Control. We're going to be badasses. You know, they're, you know, they're hitting all the right notes, and people are excited to see them on top of that. You know, they're they're like, holy shit, Bailey's back. Look at all these great. You know, we fucking love. Um, we we you know we we fucking love." Um, 
Dakota Kai and Io Shirai, and they're all back here. They're all on main, and you know, it's all good stuff. And then they start booking them like chumps, and they do the tournament with uh, Io and uh, and Dakota, and they lose the tournament. And Bailey then is sort of you know can't get a proper win. Always needs the ladies like. Why can't we just have like real strong dominant heels? Because we don't have everything is sort of wishy-washy. And and I understand. Because I know there's I, you know, I'm convinced there's folks out there going, but Warren, this is how heels should be too, you know, they cheat to win as well. But if everyone does it, like even the top guy in the company does it. You know what I mean? Like even the even the guy whose run is being force-fed to us as being legendary is cheating, can't get a clean win. That says a lot more. You know, at some point. So, you know, and and chat, you know, said it, you know, cross steamrolled everyone in NXT. Now, I'm not saying he comes in and he steamrolls Drew, right? But I was like, when I when this match started and Karrion Cross refused to, to wear the strap, I was like, oh, okay. And he starts beating him up before the, before the bell, before the match can start because he's not strapped up. And he just, you know, I'm like, what if he beats the piss out of Drew? Drew being a good, honorable dude, right? But Cross is like, double, double crosses him up. <laughs> And, and and goes after him, beats the shit out of him, puts the strap on. <laughs> Please don't clip that. Slides his hand into the strap, and then the the match starts. Maybe Drew gets a bit of a baby face comeback, right? But Cross then fucks him over because he's been fucking him over for the past like five minutes. And I'm like, hot, hot damn! Yeah, there you go. There you have a heel. Now you have a guy who is a son of a bitch. He's ready to do whatever needs to be done. He beats up a crowd favorite, a guy who is a true babyface, and and then you have the beginning of something special with Karrion Kross. Now he's just like every other dude. He's like every other dude. He's like every other heel on this roster, so it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And regardless of what you think of his athletic abilities, so on and so forth, it doesn't matter. And I promise you, I swear to you, I am, I with my hand on my heart, I was laughing out of control when uh, when uh, um, uh, Scarlet started spraying Drew with the pepper spray, I guess. I was laughing uncontrollably. Kristen, if she was here, she would confirm it. She was like, oh boy, okay. She, I thought it was the absolutely funniest thing. I don't understand. So this is, again, like this is the kind of thing where I wonder, where which has me scratching my head when people tell me things are so much better now that, now that uh, Triple H is in charge. Uh, this is shit we've seen in the past so many times. We're not seeing anything new or interesting. This is the same shit. 
You bring in Karrion Cross, people are losing their mind. They're saying, finally, they're going to give him a chance. They give him a chance, they put him on pay-per-view, and he's just like every other dope that WWE books to be a heel. It's the exact same thing. And the match in about itself, I agree with chat, it was bad. The match was bad. And look, because look, when commentary goes nuts because someone hits a Saito suplex, I'm like, holy shit. The bar is in the fucking dirt. Bianca Belair successfully retained her Raw Women's title against Bailey in a ladder match. Um, my ladder match stance remains the same. Uh, I am sick of ladder matches. I can't do them anymore. I want a moratorium on ladder matches from A to Z. Uh... I, this is what I would like. I would like all major wrestling promotions to come around a table, find, you know, find some neutral ground. Go to Switzerland, right? The Swiss are neutral, right? You go to Bern or Lausanne and you sit down and you have you, you write out a treaty, okay, with all the major wrestling companies that I watch. And and they write that treaty, and in that treaty, they they agree to not hold a single ladder match for the next 18 to 24 months. And I'd be excited about that. Because I I am so spent on ladder matches. You have no idea. Bianca Bailey, I'm down for. It's a ladder match. I'm like, ugh. But Warren, it's the first ladder match for the women's... I don't care. It's a ladder match. It doesn't... It, ladder matches do nothing for me and the the ladder match that occurred at all out for the the for the chip thing uh it was it was a convoluted nonsensical weird thing because everyone at this point in the era of in, in the year of, of 2022 as people cross all over God's green flat earth to try and put a ladder match together. They're all trying to come up with the most creative spots to use a ladder with. And, and they end up doing weird shit that, does, that they're unable to pull off. There were some spots in, in the match at All Out that Cesaro was trying to do and I can't remember with whom. He was trying to pull it off and it wasn't working. Because it was like, oh, too much nonsense. Now, I will give this to this match here. This is one thing that I will give Bianca here. While Bailey was, Bailey early on in control, right? And she's setting up the ladder and doing shit. When Bianca had an opportunity, she didn't go around grabbing ladders and trying to tinker toy something, you know, so that she could toss Bailey onto. No, she was running up the fucking ladder to try to win the goddamn match. And I appreciated that. This is why Bianca Belair rules. This is why Bianca Belair is my type of wrestler. Because she gets in there and she wants to wrestle. She wants to win. She's like, Bailey, you can, you can, you can stay on the outside and and you know create you know these structures with your ladders. I'm running up the ladder too. And she did this a couple of times early on in the match where Bailey had to let go whatever she was doing. She's like, fuck. So if anything, I was like, let's bring it down to its most simple form then. But no, that's not exactly what happened. But Again, in fairness, I thought this was a fun match. I enjoyed it. I thought it was well put together. I thought the ladies worked hard. Bailey Sunset flipped uh, Belair on to a ladder. Um, 
and then she sets her up on a ladder on the outside, right? Uh, uh, and uh, she drops off the apron, uh, an elbow drop off the apron onto the ladder, and that ladder had zero gives. Hated the finish because I don't know why Bailey was carrying a ladder around or half a ladder, whatever it was. I don't know why Bailey decided to, to do that. Like she thought it was a good idea. I hated the finish, but I thought the match was fun. Should Bianca have won or should Bailey have won? Look, my position when it comes to creating strong heels remains the same. So you either commit to damage control taking over Raw, the women's division, or you half-ass it and we're half-assing it at this point. Uh, but Warren, it will set up another match at the Saudi Arabia. Right, who cares? Like, it's happening now. Make, make it make sense now. Which is what Triple H did not do with the tag team uh, uh, title match at the end of the tournament, right? Where it's like, no, we're going to have fucking Aliyah and Raquel win it, but two weeks later put it on the right women. It's as if it's as if they don't know how to push anyone strong anymore. Have an impact. Get people invested. Bailey's great. Bailey is great. I don't get it, man. And we had the I quit match where Finn Balor defeated Edge. Who the hell? Decided that this match had to go 30 minutes. You know, and, and, and I'm going to paraphrase. The, I'm not, I'm not going to not paraphrase. That's the wrong word. I'm going to give you a TLDR here. Okay. For, it, I don't think this match is even a quarter as good as everyone is making it out to be. So I'm telling you right now, telling you right now, if if you don't want to hear someone say bad things about Finn Balor versus Edge, um, you can skip out, you can fast forward if you're listening to this on demand. But I do not, this, this is again a match that shows to me that this Papa H bullshit is exactly that. It's bullshit. We're still in the same, we're still wading in the same water. I don't know who the hell decided to give this 30 minutes. Now, I get it, okay? It's an I quit match. It shouldn't be done in 10 minutes. That doesn't make any sense. But when your finish has absolutely nothing to do with the match itself, with the story in the match itself, you could have pulled it off in 15. Let's be real. What gave us the drama that we needed for that finish, for Beth getting a concerto and having Edge say, I quit? What happened throughout that match, those 25 previous minutes that made it so important for that climax? Because it really could have happened in half the time. Because you could put... They could have done it in five minutes. When you think about it. Five minutes in. 
You have the, the Judgment Day running in going doopy dooper derp derp. And then Edge tries to fight them off and then they do the bullshit with, with Rhea and, and, and Beth. And the next thing you know, you know, they, they crack a chair across the um, uh, fucking skull, the, the skull of Edge and Edge is being held up and Beth is prone. They could have ended this in five minutes. There was no reason for this match to go 30 minutes with that finish. This is it. This is the thing. And then there's, I, there's people telling us it was great storytelling. There was, you know, great story. It's not. The storytelling in that match stunk because they were going down this lane and then all of a sudden they decided to jump over to this lane in the last five minutes. Completely ignoring everything that happened. They, there was no connection. There's no connection. No A to B. You spend 25 minutes to watch a match where you're thinking to yourself, we're going to get a proper resolution here. We're going to get... But no. This is not a good payoff to a 30-minute match, people. This is not a good payoff. The match was well-worked. I don't think there was any energy to it. There was no second gear to this match because no second gear was necessary because you didn't need a second gear to build up drama to a big finish because the finish had nothing to do with the match. I don't understand. Again, explain to me how special the Triple H era is when this kind of shit is happening still. We're not far off from Vince, folks. We really are not. But this is the, see, this is where I realize that I have a disconnect with the average WWE fan. Me personally. This is where I realize that I have a, a because they're going, because they do look at this as prime, a prime example of storytelling. Where I'm like, no, folks, the story, the story has, was abandoned 25 minutes into the match. Whatever the story was, we decided to it, we decided to, to, to for it to, to happen to, to go somewhere else. It's as if you're you're reading a you know a a noir detective novel, and then in the last chapter, suddenly it becomes about you know aliens and uh, and, and planet invasions and uh, you know fungi invading invading planet Earth. This is what it was. And I'm sorry, like I'm not going to sit here and trick you into and trick anyone into saying this was great. It was not. This was fine, well worked, but with the worst possible finish. In regards to the story they were telling. Again, the just to make sure I'm clear on this, we watched two guys wrestle for 25 minutes, and in the last five minutes of the match. We were told we're go whatever happened here doesn't matter. Cause Edge is not going to say I quit because of the match. He's gonna say I quit because of stuff. And that's not good storytelling, not in wrestling. And what are we watching? We're watching wrestling. Oh yeah. As far as I fucking know, this is still wrestling that we're watching.
Tim Traver left a super chat. Thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate it. He says, Finn versus Edge was stuck in first gear. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. But like, yeah, like I said, there was no reason for this match to have a second gear. There was no reason for this match to, be, to have a second gear and build up to the big dramatic finish when the big dramatic finish had nothing to do with the match. Like at this point, give me some near falls. Make me believe. But this is, for me, it's a deflator. I'm like, fuck you. This stinks. <clears throat> Got a fight pit match that happened next. Matt Riddle defeated Seth Rollins with Daniel Cormier as the special guest referee. And Ariel Helwani, who did the voiceover for free for him. <laughs> uh, I'm not, for the record, in case you're hanging on every word here, I'm not talking about Ariel Helwani, his interviews and uh, his uh, breakdown on um, Wrestling Observer Radio today. If you, want, if you want to come chat about it, become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel, we'll probably be talking about it on Going Broadway tomorrow over lunch. But in the meantime, look, you want to talk about an unremarkable match? This was it right here. This is another, this is, this is one that never hit second gear, but not because the guys didn't try it. it, it something happened in this match that in, in, in this fight pit match that just didn't take off. Everything was, was flat, was there, was happening. Daniel Cormier was having fun. You could tell he was having fun. He said in an interview, I think today or yesterday or whatever, this week, he said something to the effect that I had the time of my life and it showed. He's a WWE fan. I'm, you know, good for him. I think it was very, I, I, you know, he was in, he was into it. The high risk senton was a dumb, dumb move. So dumb. I don't know. I don't know who signed off on that. I don't know who said this was a good idea, but this was a dumb idea. Because there's two things that could have happened here. There's, there's literally two things that could have happened very, very easily. Matt Riddle shatters his pelvis or Matt Riddle lands awkwardly on, on Seth and shatters Seth's insides. This was, a, this was a bad idea. When I saw it, I gasped audibly and I was like, what the fuck? Who thought this was a good idea? Matt Riddle won. You know what I realized what made the fight pit work in NXT? NXT production. The fight pit was, was you know, was gloomy. Cameras up top, pointing down. Then you get some level shots, but you'd always have that sense that you're deep into something. And everything was black, right? Everything was black all around it. NXT production made the fight pit work. 
here, it looked like a cage. Sure, the, you take the ropes off. That's dope. I like it. So it doesn't feel like a cage match. But it didn't feel special. It didn't feel like a fight pit because they decided to continue to produce this match like a, like a WWE show. And I think, if anything, they should have dimmed the lights. They should have changed, you know, how, um, how the camera work was approached. It should have been something just a little more special to make it feel special. Now they just shot it like everything else. And then the big return, Bray Wyatt showed up after chasing him far and wide with QR codes and little pixelated bunnies and, and video montages and that one puzzle. He's back. He's back. First time uh, in WWE since being absorbed into a box-like structure <laughs> in April 2021. Um, look, I like Bray Wyatt. I've always had a soft spot for, for Bray and what he does. Uh, I think he gets a lot of shit from a lot of people for things that aren't his fault. Um, uh, I, I, I like the true level of creativity that he brings because there's a lot of things where people say, oh, it's so, you know, what so-and-so does, it's so, so creative, such a good idea. You know, Bray is a guy who really does think outside of the box and he does want to try and push, push the envelope a little bit. And I cannot, but not get behind that. Anyone who wants to try, uh, anyone who wants to try and, um, uh, push back what we think of wrestling matches and so on. I'm, I'm okay with that. And and sometimes it, it's not going to work and sometimes it's going to work, but you, you know, you can always give it the, the, you always give it the old college try, right? Um, and I, you know, I've liked Bray since, uh, since the, um, uh, the, the, you know, the cult leader stuff. I thought that was very, he was very invested in that. And as far as being a, a character actor, I think there's no one that touches him. I think there's no one, no one that touches him in the range of stuff that he does. And I know it's not for everyone. And I know a lot of, you know, and you know, I, you know, I, I, I sit here and I talk about, you know, how, you know, about the purity of wrestling and so on and so forth. You know, you know, and, and then I turn around and I'm like, yeah, Bray Wyatt, I dig him. Um, so you know, I understand that it's a bit of a contradictory in and about itself, but. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a soft spot for him. I really do. I think he, he's always brought something very interesting, has been extremely charismatic and has been a victim to really poor booking. So, you know, now, you know, there, there's, there's, there were reports this week that uh, Dutch and Vincent of uh, the Righteous from Ring of Honor were backstage. And, uh, and I'm, you know, those are two guys who sort of ran a, like a gypsy sort of grifting, uh, like dirty hippie kind of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses gimmick without really getting too deep into the horror, but just enough, you know. And um, and I, 
if they're bringing those two guys in to sort of flank Bray, I think that's going to be great, like a new Wyatt family or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, it's the Wyatt Six, Wyatt Six, who are the Wyatt Six, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, Vincent would fit perfectly in with Bray, and so would a guy like Dutch, too. I mean, these guys, and, and, and they're good wrestlers on top of that. So, if they have plans for Bray to make things really interesting on that point, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I'm most interested in looking at. This because this is this is you know as much as Karrion Cross's match at Extreme Rules was the match where everyone should have been like where which was his supposed to be his defining match right it's supposed to be the one where you're like oh all right now we can get excited about it Bray without Vince at this point is what I'm curious to see. Because we all collectively, and I say we, I include myself, we all collectively blame Vince for fucking up The Fiend, which should have been a home run. It should have been an easy peasy swing and a home run. But then we all sort of assume Vince got his tendrils into, into The Fiend gimmick and started fucking it up. So the Fiend wanting titles, that's something that I never quite understood why The Fiend would want a championship title anyway. So, I don't want to have any excuses for Bray moving forward. I want his, if he is as creative and spectacular as everyone says he is, or as we assume he is, as we expect him to be, let's put it that way, uh, he's got no more excuses. He doesn't have Vince McMahon telling him, no, you can't do this anymore. Or we're going to take it in this direction now, pal. We, We just can't do that anymore. So I'm curious to see how this is going to develop. And I can only hope that a Vince McMahon-less Bray Wyatt is going to be phenomenal. And that's and honestly, that's what I want. And I want him to have good, fun matches. I want to have creative builds. I couldn't care less about the lore. I couldn't care less about Lily and Alexa Bliss now you know there's a lot of people thinking that Liv is going to flip over to to Bray's side because Liv was you know in full Joker mode after losing to after Ronda Rousey sat on her head <laughs> you know she, so there's a lot of people think oh maybe she's going to slip and she's going to be Sister Abigail right because everyone everyone we all need to have a fucking Sister Abigail right it can't just be a thing there has to be a Sister Abigail doesn't there I'm excited to see what happens. We're going to see it tomorrow. At the time when we're recording this, we're going to see it tomorrow on SmackDown. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, you'll be like, yeah, you were reason you you were you were right to be excited, Warren. Or maybe you'll be like, well, Warren, they fucked it up already. You know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I I'm very very curious to see how this is going to go. I'm excited. I like Bray. I've always liked Bray. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, you know, if, 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 if we want to touch on it really, really quickly, then on the next night on Raw, pretty eventful stuff happening, right? Um, you know, with the, the, the good brothers showing up to flank AJ Styles and reform the OC, the original club, after all this stuff with AJ Styles and Finn Balor and teasing 
being reunited and, you know, the Bullet Club and all of that. Now, took me for a, took me a little bit for a spin here. I was a little shocked. I was a little surprised. I was a little, oh, I was a, oh, the Carl Anderson there and showing up, uh, you know, away from New Japan while he's currently the never open weight champion right over there after having a, a you know a pretty well regarded well received return to Nuj, uh it was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise to see him show up there uh, you know it was a, a, a little bit of a shock um so i was so you know of course you know a whole bunch of people were like tearing tearing him a new one and Saying, oh, how could he do this? You know, so but clearly there's some kind of relation, there's some kind of agreement here where uh where New Japan is okay with Carl Anderson showing up in WWE. They're like, yeah, sure, that's fine, because New Japan was retweeting stuff that Carl Anderson was doing from the official WWE accounts. Oh, wow, okay. So there's some kind of agreement here that exists. Um of course, these come after this comes after a few tweets uh couple of, what about a year ago or over a year ago when Carl Anderson was uh, and and Doc Gallows left uh, WWE um when they uh you know Carl Anderson said I'm never going back and he called them losers and so on and so forth you know never say never in wrestling right um look no I I don't think anyone is really surprised to see the good brothers going back to WWE because whatever you know these these are guys and this should come to the shock of no one these are guys who do this for the money this is fine and that I think it's part of their brand now it's how they present themselves what we do here it's you know it's for the cash that's all right um there shouldn't be any shock that they would uh, you know leave New Japan if they had a nice sweet sweet delicious uh uh, uh money offer from the Fed from trips I, I think that's I, I think that's expected right I don't have a problem with it in and about itself uh, I don't have a problem with this at all really I don't have I like I don't even ha- I don't even have the closest issue regarding to it and it made a lot of people extremely angry but uh, I am all for the gates of pro wrestling to be much more open where people can go work more freely in companies and so on and so forth instead of being gated into whatever federation or or promotion they're in right now. Why couldn't it be more free form? Because you know what that means? It means guys and gals can move around more easily, can try the waters out elsewhere and, you know, hopefully get better money deals. This is something that exists in Japan for the better part of 50 years where promotions will lend talent to each other and some of the talent sometimes doesn't come home and that's just part of the game that's just what you expect out of it um and uh and and that's just it but in north america we have this really really strange perception that you know oh x wrestler ends up into this company and this is an act of war this is a, a this is such a clear signal this is such a it could just very much be a guy weighing his options, going like, you know what? The Fed called. They want me to come in for this spot with AJ. And that's all it could be too. Because technically, Carl Anderson, from what I understand, uh, he's uh, he's uh, has to honor 
whatever uh, whatever's up for him uh, into uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And then he can do whatever he wants. So maybe he is just angling for a job at the Fed. And maybe Gato in New Japan is like, look, brother, that's fine. Because honestly, I don't have anything for you, really, after Wrestle Kingdom. So if you want to go, go. That's fine. But no, like it's, it's always this fucking, you know, weird ass mentality that everything is, has to be like, no, well, this is a, this is clearly a shot. This is clearly a. If we if we lived if we lived in a in an environment where it was normal for talent to be able to cross promotions easily like that and go get some gigs and work a couple of dates and then move on to and so on and so forth. We wouldn't be having this conversation and be like, ha, this is really cool, instead of people suddenly picking sides. And I can understand the people uh, going, but this is WWE, you know, they're motherfuckers and they've always been motherfuckers. And yes, there's precedent. There's absolute precedent for this type of uh, of bullshittery. And, um, and, uh, and, and I can get behind that. I can absolutely, absolutely get behind that. Um, uh, because I think everything, every any type of move that WWE does in these types of circumstances, you you, you naturally have to take it with a a bit of skepticism, with a little bit of uh, oh, what are they really up to? Uh, you know, put your ear to the ground and 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 try to understand why exactly they're doing this because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, what it, it makes sense, but it could make maybe there's something going on that might be a little darker, a little more sinister. What's WWE going to get out of this? A pop? Sure, maybe. Maybe we're just ushering in a new era. Maybe it's just like Triple H being. You know what? We need to just invite these people in for a couple, a one shot, a two shot, and then let them go. We have to be able to do that now. Kind of like what Tony Khan does. Sign up, you know, per date appearance, and then hit the bricks. We have to be able to do that because it generates goodwill. It generates sympathy, makes things exciting, gets the hardcores excited. I don't see this as, as, as much of a bad thing as everyone seems to, 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 to believe it is. Yes, it's the Fed. Yes, they have a history. Yes, we have to be careful. But I still think it's okay. And then Brock Lesnar showed up. Brock Lesnar Shows up to beat the shit out of um, Bobby Lashley. So Lashley can be in such poor health that uh, Lashley drops the US title to Seth Rollins. Um, <laughs> look, um, Brock showing up for a low pressure mid-card feud right on time for some Saudi money is the most Brock Lesnar thing. So my, look. How do I feel about Brock coming back? It's how I always feel about Brock coming back. At least it's not Goldberg. Battle of the Belts happened on uh, on Friday. Again, uh, another short. Uh, they tried to pair it up with uh, Rampage. So to make a two-hour late-night programming block of pro wrestling on a Friday night as opposed to just doing Rampage and then uh hitting over Battle of the Belts, let's say on the Saturday. Um I thought this show was fine. I think it is one of the better of the four 
Battle of the Belts, but my favorite Battle of the Belts is number three. The previous one they did. Um, I think this was, this show was a one-match show, really, with Pac uh, successfully retaining the All-Atlantic title against Trent Beretta in a video game match. And I say that lovingly because that's what it was. It was a video game match. Both guys just pulling out move after move. You know, it's as if you're, you know, you're playing, you know, WWE 2K. And all you're doing is you're, you're spamming, you're spamming the, you're, 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 you know, you're spamming the heavy moves. That's what you're doing. That's what these guys were doing. It was insane. It was insane. Uh, Trent, at some point, he yanks Pac off of his off his back by the legs and right into a pile driver, which was insane. Pac suplexes Trent off the stage through a table. Knees up on a black arrow. Avalanche half and half by Trent. Pac transitions out of a uh, out of a crunchy into a brutalizer. Pac has to use the hammer to win the match because Trent ain't going down. Uh I thought, I thought this was very good. I thought this was a very, very, very good television match. A video game match. Exciting. Great way to start it off. Then I feel everything sort of fall, fell off. Uh, Jade Cargill successfully retained her TBS uh, title against uh, Willow. I was just going to say Will, but it is Will O. Um, Will O. Nightingale. I mean, Willow had a good showing here, laying in some really great offense. Uh, she did this great dive that that killed Kira Hogan on the floor. Just great stuff. Um, uh, Willow also hit the cannonball missile dropkick. Jade did a the, did a nice suplex as well. Finished it off with the Jade. It was a short match, um, but uh, you know. They've got something special with Willow. And, and and I know Tony Khan knows it. And look, here's the thing. You know, we're talking about WWE, you know, who can't seem to pull the trigger on things. I think right now, one of the things that is a problem with the with the women's division is that, the, you know, there's nothing... People feel like there's nothing happening. There's nothing going on, shocking, whatever you want to call it. If... If Tony Khan were to suddenly debelt Jade out of nowhere and strap one of his new junior prospects like Willow Nightingale, who is getting herself over organically through her work, I think that would have been a that would have been an exciting and especially an unexpected move. Because then what do you do? What do you do with Jade? You have Jade move into the proper world title picture, right? Then you start tossing Jade around with the with the Brit Bakers and the Tony Storms. Then you're like, uh, and the Hikaru Shidas. And then you're like, okay, now we got something here. Now we've got something. Because again, you know, as as great as Jade is, um, and how much she's improved and how statuesque she is and how much of how much star presence she has jade's reign over all the people that she has defeated isn't necessarily the mark of 
something great, you know? You could argue her biggest win was over Athena at All Out, again, which was something that kind of surprised everyone. Um, Because she's defeated Anna Jay multiple times, and then she fought Julia Hart, The Bunny, Ty Conchi, Marina Shafir, Layla Gray, Madison Rain. Like, these aren't exactly your stalwarts of the women's division. These aren't necessarily your your big-time players here. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, it would have been a ballsy move from Tony Khan. But I think it would have been one that would have injected so much uh, 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 excitement into that division and into that scene around the TBS title that it could have been really good. Because I think Willow would have been a perfect woman to do it with. But look, in the meantime... Willow still hasn't beaten Jade. Still can't get. Still can't get the big one. Uh, let's continue the story. Let's see where this leads us. And then we had FTR versus the Gates of Agony. Um, I thought it was fine. Good, solid work. Uh, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't quite click for me as most uh, FTR matches do. There's. Uh, just a little something off here. FDR retained, of course. Everything was fine. It was all right. But that's it. That's that's the story of uh, that's the story of Battle of the Belts. I got another. Again, we'll you know we'll see how things keep developing, how things keep going, moving forward. But you know what? When when Tony Khan last year renegotiated his uh, his contract with TNT TBS. And they announced the move to, from TNT to TBS. And they announced that they were going to do these super cards. I was really excited for it because I like the concept of super cards. You know, these big moments in time where you can have big story bumps, but you're not you're still keeping the big matches for the pay-per-views. You know, not unlike Saturday night's main event back in the day for WWF. I thought this was a really good idea. When I was like, yeah, let's fucking go. But Battle of the Belts just feels a just a tiny bit lackluster. It doesn't it doesn't have the big feel. Nothing is really built for Battle of the Belts to feel like a big deal. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about AEW Dynamite though. It happened at the time that we are recording this, of course. Happened last night. October 12, 2022, the Coca-Cola Coliseum in Toronto, Ontario. The first excursion of AW into my native land, our home and native land. True patriot eyes of all of us command the glory heart. We see the vice, the true stars and tree. For glory and fight, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. God keep our land glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. 
Show started with, um, look, honestly, the Toronto crowd was ready for some AEW, and Toronto crowds have always been good for pro wrestling. Montreal crowds have always been good for pro wrestling. Um, and I don't know why this, why they don't come more often. You know what I mean? And if if Tony wants to, if Tony wants to open up the gates and leave the American Midwest a little bit and come a little further north to Toronto more, uh, more, more, more times than one in a year, I think it'll work out. Same thing with Montreal. Um, people would be excited for it. Just, just go. These were very good wrestling crowds. Toronto was molten for some AEW last night. Started off with Renee Paquette, who bears in a striking resemblance to Renee Young from WWE. She made her entrance uh, because she is. She was signed. She was announced earlier in the day that she had signed with AEW as an interviewer, uh, which is cool. Uh, I like Renee. I think she has tremendous likability. I think she is terribly competent at what she does. Uh, she is a boon for that announced team that they have there. I hope that she's more than just a, a mic stand, a la Alex Marvez. I hope they give her something she can sink her teeth into a little more. Um, whether it be commentary, you know, though, the, you know, would she want to go back to commentary? Whether it be commentary or, you know, give us a, a talking smack. She has the charisma, the energy, the, the talent, the poise, the savoir-faire to pull this off. They've got, they've got a great... Here's the, here's, they have a great broadcaster in Rene Paquette, as opposed to a great interviewer, a great on-air talent. They have a great broadcaster. And her first gig, her first, her first thing that she does as a new member of All Elite Wrestling is to bring out Christian Cage. Who comes out and he says he feels that it's great. He feels great to be back in Toronto, but he trashes the Maple Leafs and he introduces his right hand of destruction, Luchasaurus, because the first match of the night is Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy Jack Perry or Jack Jungle Boy Perry. They're going for they're going to the Jack Perry stuff now. Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Versus Luchasaurus. I thought this was a quite a good match. Jack tries to get in control with quickness, but Luchasaurus pulls out some power moves to take him down and sets up a table on the floor in the meantime. Jack tries to work his arm, though, Luchasaurus's arm, trying to nullify the choke slam. There's some good back and forth between them two. Jungle Boy hits a sunset bomb off the apron through the table. Luchasaurus does some great counters to get the upper hand. Jungle Jack, <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, his baby faceness is it connects so easily with the crowd. Like the, everyone believes in his comebacks. He's just he just has that 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 natural baby face energy. 
and the crowd is so into it. They're really into this match. Uh, Jack hits a crucifix bomb that gets this hot, gets the hot crowd even more molten. It's a poison Rana lands a kill switch on top of that. He can't put Luchasaurus down. Luchasaurus avoids the snare trap and hits his finisher, which I I don't think had we seen the finisher because he's 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 in a a torture rack position, right? Argentinian backbreaker position. And he, then, he, he flips him over into a slam. At first, I thought it was, Christ, did he just pull out a burning hammer? But no, because he didn't land him on his head. He landed him like as a, on a slam, horizontally as opposed, because you know that's the danger with the burning hammer is that you're bringing the guy down, you know, all of his body weight onto his neck. But I, re- I re-watched it. And it was not a burning hammer. You have to give it a name. I would christen it the uh, Brachiosaurus Bomb. We go backstage, Stokely Hathaway and Ethan Page are there. They're backstage with private party Matt Hardy shows up in all of this as well uh Stokely says he's purchased private party's contract to free them from Matt Hardy's from whatever group no it's not Matt Hardy's group the 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 not Andrade group right the the (laughs) whatever you call them now and Matt gets into Ethan Page's face and he challenges him to a match with their contracts on the line tonight because Matt is like, I want the contracts, not you dorks. Ethan Page challenges Cassidy to a match on Rampage, Isaiah Cassidy of Private Party. And he says, if he wins, if, 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 um, if Cassidy wins the match, they're out of their contracts. But if Ethan Page wins, then the firm also get Matt Hardy's contract. Hardy accepts. Now, why would you want a bunch of contracts from a bunch of unproven mid-carders? Why, why is this such a big deal? Like, Private Party had not been a big deal since the initial first months of AEW, since 2019. They have literally been non-entities. Why is getting them out of their contracts such a big deal? And on top of that, Matt Hardy, who has been a... has not been a tremendous force on television why would you want to buy in his contract like I don't understand any of this I don't understand what Stokely's operation is because if anything if Stokely's going around picking up super talented guys uh that that uh that just need that extra little oomphta like the guns like uh Lee Moriarty like Ethan Page like W. Morrissey why would he why would he settle for more very very average wrestlers than these guys? I don't understand it. I don't understand this story. It doesn't make sense to me. And you know what? It's too much paperwork and it bores me. Oh, you know, this contract and 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 there's been a lot of these Here's the thing. Many you will hear out in the ethernets that AEW does not do stories right I, I don't know if you've heard this people will tell will tell me but AEW doesn't do stories 
they do stories. They're doing a story right now. And I don't think this is this is a good story in and about itself. But this is a story um, which I'm not excited about, which I wish they'd move on from because I feel like there's nothing there. I feel there's there's no there's no uh, um, I feel like we've been down this ramp with contracts and, and 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 stuff like that. It's all very meta. It's all very paperworky. I I don't get it, man. Fight for titles. Fight because you hate each other. Don't care for it much. Samoa Joe and Wardlow, also known as War Joe, defeat the factory team of QT Marshall and Nick Camarado. Just a premeditated enhancement match for War Joe to get the huge Toronto pops. Nothing wrong with that. I say it's premeditated because the uh, the factory have been talking shit. So this is fine. They win with a Swanton by Wardlow and a Kakina Clutch by Samoa Joe. I mean, this team works. This team, it just works. It works on the power front, on the awesome front. You look at these guys and you're like, holy shit. Look at these two. And it works on the popularity side as well. And yet I will, you know... I'll still hear people say, no, Wardlow's not hot. I swear. I don't know what people, what, what, what wrestling show people watch. I think, I think people who don't, who say, uh, Wardlow's not hot. I think they don't watch Dynamite. I, don't, I think they don't, they don't pay attention to the reactions he gets. I think they might be a little mad because their fantasy booking didn't quite work out the way that they thought it would. This works. After the match, uh, Prince Nana and the embassy arrive. I can use more Prince Nana on my TV. He says um, he accuses Wardlow and Samoa Joe of sticking their nose in embassy business. Brian Cage then takes the mad, takes the, the mic and says, nobody wants to see Wardlow powerbomb QT Marshall because that's heat. And he asks where FTR are right are they even here well yes turns out they are ftr comes out to a huge reaction from the crown and again i am going i am told that people are fed up of ftr that people can't they they don't want to see them on their tv anymore and yet there's sometimes i would like my peers to just come out flat out say, I don't like this wrestler. I don't, I don't care. I like to think that I do that to you. I like to think, and I'm likely guilty of doing that myself, but I try to correct myself and I do my best. Trust me, I do my best. But I like to think that I do that when talking to you guys about wrestlers. I don't try to invent situations like, I, I, think, they're, I think they don't have any heat anymore, folks. You know, I think the audience is tired of them. I think I'll just flat out tell you, I don't like these people. Kind of like the acclaimed, right? I've been, uh, you know, living alone in my fort 
for how many months now saying I don't get it I don't understand the acclaim thing it's too sports entertaining too sports entertaining for me doesn't get me excited but I can respect the fact that it's over as fuck even though it's not for me Anyway, Dex Hardwood, Harwood, Warren, grabs the mic and um, the crowd is chanting loud for FTR. Uh, he says, um, you know, he comes out, you know, because he's tired of Brian Page talking about, uh, talking about all this bullshit. And it's like, okay, look, let's do a trios match. Uh, how about uh, the two of us? And an Ontario native, the uh, the perfect partner. In fact, he is a perfect ten, or whatever. And Sean Spears come out, comes out to the biggest pop that he's received since his Royal Rumble debut. Um, they're doing the ten thing, the hands and everything. It's all the it's all the old Pinnacle boys. Wardlow and Spears shook hands and hugged. I guess there's resolution there. Um, so yeah, so we're going to get, uh, 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 this was all to set up, uh, 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 what's his face? FTR and Sean Spears against the embassy on Rampage and Solo ate a big rig also in this segment. Backstage, the Jericho Appreciation Society are interviewed. They call Daniel Garcia out on stuff and Jericho says he's going to beat Brian Danielson. Wow. Then we had another match with uh, Swerve Strickland defeating Kip Gunn. The acclaimed come out. Enormous reactions. Daddy ass. Enormous reactions. This, and you know what? The, the acclaimed even did a, a, a Trudeau blackface joke. I was like, holy fuck. That's, uh, that's some localized... Shit right there. Good job, Max Caster. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, open up your little Google machine, type in Trudeau, blackface, and just remember that uh, Justin Trudeau is our the prime minister of the country. Um, anyway, there was a match here that was fine with um, Kip Gunn teasing that he was going to pull down his pants. That's what he was. That was the thing. Is that his thing now? Is he wants to show off his ass? Is he morphing into heavyweight Taguchi right now? Because I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. AEW doesn't have the guts to have Billy Gunn do what Taguchi does in New Japan. They don't have the cojones to do it. They don't have the grapefruits to have Billy Gunn go full to Gucci in AEW. Billy Gunn hits a jackhammer. Swerve hyper extends the knee. Cobra clutch slam is reversed. Swerve covers and holds the ropes for the win. Um, after the match, Mark Sterling comes out. Uh to a defeated acclaimed crew to confirm that he's trademarked the scissor me in pro wrestling which includes the hand gestures 
and the scissor me daddy ass and all t-shirt royalties go to him now. And apparently this is a shoot. <laughs> that he does own scissor me in wrestling. Uh, see, I'll take this type of, of paperwork feud over anything that they are doing with, you know, stables and contracts right now, which I think is is, is a little, I think it's a little lame. And um, and 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 that's one of the things that I feel there's maybe a little too much of, you know. It's like too much paperwork, too many contracts, too many. Just like just you don't always have to make things too overly complicated. This is simple. This is Mark Sterling. He's a chicken shit. We don't like him. He's a jerk, and he's he signed the the contract. He's done the thing with the, you know, with the scissor me, and that's good. And now this is probably going to set up a match for, you know, between uh, him and uh, Josh Woods and uh, between the acclaimed and Josh Woods and Tony Nese for the rights to scissor me, right? Which again is fine, but your titles are there too. You know, sometimes it. it you know, it can also just be about the titles because the titles are supposed to be important. And if you make the titles feel important, they're going to look important. MJF gets a, a interviewed backstage and cuts another wonderful promo. He says we have to... Uh, basically, you know, he's, the interview is like to go over some of the hesitation he had when it was time to shake Wheeler Yuta's hand last week, right? But uh, Stokely Hathaway prances in on this interview and he's all excited. But MJF says, you know, he didn't ask him, Stokely, to come in after Yuta. And that's strike two, Stoke. Stokely Hathaway sort of slinks away then. MJF continues and he hints that uh, he and William Regal have a dark past. And he's sure Regal, a past that Regal, he's sure that Regal doesn't want to be reminded of. Hmm, I wonder what that could mean. And as far as Yuta goes, he doesn't give a goddamn, he doesn't have a goddamn clue, Yuta does, what it's like to be MJF, knowing he has no choice but to be the bad guy every day. He's broken his hand so many times, punching his own reflection in the mirror. You know, oh, you don't like me? MJF asks, that's fine, I don't like myself either. But that's what it takes to become a world champion. I'm like, holy shit. And, you know, I know this is ringing a lot of, oh, are they doing a heel, are they doing a, a babyface turn for him, right? Are, are, are they turning, are they turning MJF babyface, right? And I'm, you know, I sort of, I, 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 I don't necessarily want to dive all that deeply into it. But, I, you know, there's nothing in this promo that, that gave off terrible, huge, like, babyface vibes. Nothing that would make me go, oh, yeah, absolutely, there. this feels like it. Like, it just feels like natural character progression for MJF. And he's done this kind of stuff with us before where we thought he was softening up and becoming a little more human, but then decided to 
squander it all away and just continue to be a dick to CM Punk, right? Um, I mean, I, you know, I can get the concerns that right now MJF is getting a lot of big baby face reactions. And will he get a big baby face reaction if he's paired up with John Moxley? Like, what's going to happen? Um, maybe John becomes a you know a local heel for the night wherever they wherever they end up doing this because everyone is so much on MJF's side. That's it. That's absolutely a possibility. Um, I'm very curious to see where this is where this is going, but I don't think this is a oh they're turning him babyface kind of situation. I really don't. John Moxley hits the ring for an interview. John Moxley, who just recently re-signed for five years with um, with AEW uh, All Elite Wrestling, he has uh, a five-year contract extension. Um, so he's going to be with the company through 2027. And AEW announced it on Friday uh, evening, last Friday evening, through a a, a press release. Stating that, quote, uh, he will work exclusively for AEW and its international partners, including New Japan Pro Wrestling. Unquote. His, in addition to his wrestling duties on top of that, John Moxley will be expanding in role, his role in the company by mentoring and coaching talent. Here's another quote here. John Moxley is on the best run of his already legendary career and his five-year extension ensures that he was not only here for AEW's meteoric rise, but also remains a key part of the sustained success we're witnessing just days after the three-year anniversary uh, show for AEW Dynamite, Tony Khan was quoted as saying in the press release. John is a great world champion for us in his third reign. His wrestling mind is invaluable, and our roster is lucky to have the opportunity to utilize him as a mentor and a coach, and we continue to build the stars of today and tomorrow. And Moxley himself said uh, interview, in an interview with uh, Sports Illustrator, Illustrator, Illustrated, I do a little too much Illustrator these days apparently, says, quote, I don't want to, I don't plan on going anywhere else. It's the best job in the world and I'm very lucky to have it. In AEW, all I worry about is wrestling. That's my focus and that's a joy. I love storytelling. I love promos. I love wrestling. I love coming up with ideas for other people. I love learning. For me, it's a perfect fit. And he continued to say that he didn't feel the same way a year ago. Quote, again, a year ago, I wasn't in the same headspace, he said. I was all fucked up. I hated traveling. I was living in Vegas. Felt like I was always in an airport, flying coast to coast, and I was sick of leaving my family. I thought about freelancing when my deal was up. Not that I would leave AEW but I didn't want to be there every week. I was in a bad place. Then I went to rehab and all that, and now I'm in a totally different headspace. We're living in Cincinnati too, which is great. I look forward to going to TV every week. I get to see my friends in the Blackpool Combat Club. I'm not fucked up. I have a clean headspace. My life is completely different than it was a year ago, all for the better. And then uh, in terms of helping coach and mentor the talent, this is what he had to say, quote, I'm a good gap between the old generation and the new generation. I come from the Les Thatcher system, so I understand paying your dues and respecting veterans. 
I'm also old enough to know what it was like to go to the post office and send stacks of my videotapes, ones I had to make to promoters. I was also there for the advent of YouTube and I was one of the first indie wrestlers to gain, to gain buzz doing that. My friend had a video camera and a laptop, so I would cut promos every week on my indie shows and use and used YouTube to my advantage. I think that this is very exciting and this is very, very good news and this is good news that AEW needed. Don't, don't kid yourselves. Don't sit around scratching your heads wondering why AEW put out a press release because John Moxley decided to do a contract extension because AEW needs some good press. They need to show that this is not a sinking ship. That one of the men who represents pro wrestling in the year of our Lord 2022 is ready to hunker down for five years with the company. Not only hunker down with the company and wrestle there, but he's going to be a part of making that locker room better. He's already stepped up. We've heard it multiple times from Tony Khan, from wrestlers on how John Moxley has stepped up as a local room leader to try and make this place better. That press release was sent out because AEW's PR team was like, we need a win. We need something so that people will stop talking about the elite, stop talking about CM Punk, stop worrying that AEW is going down the tubes. Five-year extension for arguably one of the biggest wrestling names in the world today. That's good news. Anyway, John Moxley comes out. It's his first time in Toronto in three years and he's excited to be there. Cuts a promo. He says, being world champion isn't fun in games. It ain't easy and, every, and everybody wants something from you. Some, guy, some guys get there, some can't handle the pressure, and some self-destruct, some faster than others, he says. I wonder if he meant anything by that. Adam Page comes out and delivers an excellent, fiery promo. Why did we not have this Adam Page during his title run? Why was he not alive like this during that title run? He says he watched Mox these past three years and he's come to respect who he is in the ring and as a person. He says Mox called him a kid and says Page doesn't have the guts to pull the trigger to do what needs to be done to beat him. Hangman admits that he may not be the same guy as he was last year. He hesitated in May and that cost him the title. He went for the trios championship with his best friends and he had to watch them disappear week after week. He says his old friends have disappeared and he's got nothing left. And he says, quote, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I can't sleep at night. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. The medicine is not working, but I'm not but I'm here because I am a man. He psychs himself up the whole way, punches himself in the face. Fuck, he bleeds hard way. 
fantastic promo. And one that I related to maybe a little too strongly. And this is the thing. Because I know there's, you know, cowboys aren't like this and so on and so forth. And this was kind of, this was kind of Mox being the critics in this promo here. Mox was being the critics of Hangman Adam Page. Where they were like, where where uh, um, uh, Mox was saying, you know, uh, world champions, you know, they can't have self-doubt. They can't be anxious. You know, Paige is called, you know, the anxious millennial, you know. They got to give everything they got kind of thing. And he says, I don't think you have the guts. I don't think you have it in you because you're still a kid because you act like a kid. Paige is like, I'm 31 years old. I've buried my loved ones and I've brought new world, new life into the world as well. Plus all the stuff about being frustrated and depressed and the medication not working. If Adam Page is not the most grounded professional wrestler of 2022, I don't know what I don't know who else is. Maybe Eddie Kingston. But there are there they talk about very similar themes, very real, raw shit that again challenge your your, uh, your vision of what masculinity should be. I've seen and heard so many people make fun of um, of Paige's jeans over his few uh, his last few outings. I think it's fine. I even endorse it. I think it's great. I think his, uh, I think he's doing it purposefully to challenge preconceived notions. And is it keeping him from getting over? Hell no! Again, did you hear the reaction he got? And was that promo last night, did, did the, the tassels dangling off of the stars on his jeans, did they deter you from the enjoyment and the passion and the, the truth of that promo? I don't think so. I like these little shakeups. I like how Adam Page keeps reminding us that, you know what? He still has a long way to go. But he's not a kid. He's not coming out of nowhere. He's had a hell of a lot of experience. He's gone through some shit and he goes through shit every day. And if that doesn't resonate with adults 18 to 49, or at least, you know, 18 to 39, I don't know what else does. Fantastic stuff. Great promo. Sold me a ticket for the match last next week. Sold me a ticket. Then we had the Ring of Honor world title match where Chris Jericho successfully defended his title against Brian Danielson. No code of honor to start this one off. This was fun. The match, I'm uh, not, not necessarily the ignoring of the code of honor, but the match was, you know, it was fun. I thought their match on Dynamite from a couple of weeks ago was uh, umpteen times better than this. 
But it was fine. Uh, Avalanche Hurricane Rana by Jericho. Uh, we had an Avalanche Butterfly Suplex by Danielson. Jericho gets in the walls. Danielson gets in the walls. He also lands in his hammer and anvil um, uh, 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 elbow strikes. Jericho lifts him up into a DVD. Um, Danielson goes for flying knees, gets two in, goes for a third, and instead eats a code breaker. Then there's a ref bump. Daddy Magic Matt Menard tosses Jericho the Ring of Honor belt. Garcia runs down the ramp, whisks it away from Jericho, and instead he cracks the belt over Brian Danielson's face, and Jericho crawls over Danielson for the pin. After the match, Garcia hugs Jericho, but it kind of seems half-hearted. The rest of Blackpool Combat Club come down to check on Danielson. Now, I, I get the idea that Jericho is cheating right now because he hates Ring of Honor, okay? But it would be more significant, if you ask me, if he was alone in the booking of the shows doing the underhanded stuff the out you know the the sneaky cheating stuff because you have pack right now who's doing an extremely similar angle as a, a, a somewhat similar angle where you, where he's constantly going for the bell hammer and you're like and, and the story here is that a wrestler like Pac does not need to cheat to win. He should not feel like he do he does this. So we hate him just a little more because he shouldn't be doing this. Chris Jericho's thing is that he's um, Chris Jericho's thing is that he's taking um, uh, he's taking uh, liberties with the ring of honor principles and he says himself i'm going to destroy the legacy of ring of honor so on and so forth so he's doing things that he should not be doing does that even make sense i hope i'm making sense right now because i feel it would be more impactful if he were alone doing it than other than having Pac on on the other side also doing something very similar Again, if that makes sense. Rene Paquette is backstage. Again, Rene Paquette looks a lot like this Rene Young person. She's interviewing Nyla Rose, the quote unquote TBS champion. Um, Nyla just she just oozes with personality. I don't know why she is not put on television more. I don't understand it. I really don't. Let's go. Push, push, push. Get her on TV more. Give her more mic time. She's fantastic. Just a great promo. And 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 you, you have um, uh, uh, Vicky Guerrero, who's there as well, who's supposed to be the mouthpiece of the group. Because now they're a group, right? The, the Vicious Vixens, Right? With Marina Shafir and her straw hat. And Vicky Guerrero is supposed to be the mouthpiece of the group. But Vicky struggles through promos. 
Nyla is a natural. And she really, she's found a voice for Nyla Rose, the wrestler on television. And she is outstanding. She is funny. She is, uh, she comes off as dangerous. Let's go. Give her all the time in the world she needs. Brings us, of course, to our women's match of the night. Tag team Mashikaru Shida and Tony Storm defeated Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter coming out to surprise, surprise, huge reactions. Everyone did in this match, actually. Um, and another great showing by the women in a multi-women situation. Hayter's strikes are great and they're on point. Sheeta lands the the you know the deadlift German on Hater where Hater's on the apron and 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 Sheeta is on the second rope and she just deadlifts her right back into the ring just great stuff. Tony Storm, uh, uh, Tony Storm transforms a transitions a Cazador into a bulldog. Britt Baker lands the stomp a tornado DDT by uh, 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 Tony Storm as well. Sheeta avoids the lockjaw. In and out of roles with Britt Baker to finally get the win for her team. Just fantastic stuff. And again, look. I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this, this, this topic up. Because I think it's been working. And I think it is a good solution. To try and generate interest passion from the fans in the women's division by giving them these multi these tag teams and trios matches week in week out not unlike they do in new japan and let the women get over on their work because most of the women who have gotten themselves over in AEW has been because of their in-ring work i believe the AEW fan in general will appreciate it will appreciate work rate in ring capabilities much more than a WWE fan will where a WWE fan will require high mic skills to be entertained by said wrestler when you can get both of course that's the total package don't get me wrong but I don't think it's I don't think there's anyone in this match here that talking is necessarily their strength outside of Britt Baker. Jamie Hayter doesn't cut promos, gets herself over. Why? Because of her work. Hikarushida got herself over. English is not her first language. She got over because of her work. Riho got herself over, not because of her promos, because English is not her first language, because of her work. Willow Nightingale. Fine little promo, but has not cut enough promos in AEW to be like, oh, well, she got herself over because of her mic time. No, she got over because of the work. So put them in situations where, as wrestling fans, we can get to discover them. We can get to understand them. We get to understand their their you know their power moves, what you know, what their what their skill set is, so that when we see it in singles matches, we pop, we get invested because we know who these women are. But God damn it. Let's do it in more than one match at a time. 
let's do this more than one match per flagship show. It's not that hard. It really isn't. And then we reach the main event. Oh, and what a main event it was. Orange Cassidy defeating Pac to become the new AEW All-Atlantic Champion. Fantastic main event to close out this great card. Orange Cassidy is fired up. He's been fired up for this one for weeks now. He's not, you know, all happy-go-lucky Orange Cassidy. No, he's he's ready to go. He's fired up. Pac mocks Orange Cassidy early on, doing the shin kicks and so on and so forth. So what does Orange Cassidy do? He responds with a shotgun drop, shotgun drop kick, dives to the outside, but gets caught by Pac and gets in a brain buster onto the floor. Pac dra drags... Orange Cassidy all the way up the ramp. Hits a jumping tombstone on him. Uh, Orange Cassidy later uh, dives a di hits a diving DDT on the floor. And another DDT in the ring. Orange punch. Beach break on the apron. Pac is somehow surviving all of this. Danhausen is out there. He keeps Pac from getting the hammer. And he's tried before in the match, right? And, and uh, Bryce Remsburg spotted him and kept him away from uh kept him away from the hammer but there's another hammer under the ring that he tries to use on orange cassidy but orange cassidy knocks him out with a punch instead so the hammer goes flying cassidy struggles with the hammer he has a crisis of conscience. instead he he hits another orange punch to pack and another orange punch and it's the win eight previous unsuccessful attempts for Orange Cassidy to become a singles champion in AEW. Finally does it. AEW's, one of AEW's breakout stars. Gets the title. I thought this was a blast. Fantastic way to end the show. You gave someone everyone wanted to see. You gave something everyone wanted to see. Crowd goes nuts. We have the confetti. Chris Statlander. Off, uh, off the air comes to celebrate as well with the best friends. A good, imagine that finishing off the show with a good, uh, with a with a good feel good moment. How about that? I thought this was a very fun episode of Dynamite. Let's wrap things up. We are going to head into New Japan's Declaration of power show that happened this weekend on October 10 in Tokyo, Japan at the uh, Ryogoku Kokugan uh, look they used to call it Sumo Hall let's keep calling it Sumo Hall if that's alright um, good attendance for this uh, for this show as well they still have the the COVID restrictions set on uh, four, over 4,000 people were at the show so you know I think that's that's good considering. Uh, but uh, a very busy show. Lots of stuff happening. Let's get into it. Opened up with a tribute to Antonio Inoki. Uh, with, uh, with the entire locker room coming out to pay respects for the um, recently deceased 
uh, founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, they would have liked uh, to have Inoki around at uh, Wrestle Kingdom this year. Unfortunately, clearly, um, uh, fate had another plan here, but uh, they were still able to provide a proper tribute to Inoki here. That led us into our first match, six-man tag match. David Finley, Ren Narita, and Robbie Eagles defeated the Suzuki-Gun combo of Duki, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, of course, the big story here is that Ren Narita is back. He's back from Excursion. He's getting his, he got his first win here from Excursion. No, a, a young lion no more. They're calling him the son of Strong Style, like the, the heir apparent to Katsuyori Shibata here. Uh, and I mean, they're doing the you know the same type of haircut and uh, black boots, black trunks. He's still staying like we're staying very close to um, we're staying very close to to the Shibata way here. Um, and uh, he does a lot of the heavy lifting in this match. Ate a lot of the offense. Uh, Eagles and Finley do a lot of high flying offense spots on Desperado and Kanemaru. Narita hits uh, the Narita special. Number two for the win. Fun little opener. Good to see Narita back uh, in New Japan proper. Then we had a tag team match. The Dangerous Techers defeated the TMDK team of Bad Dude, Tito, and Shane Haste. You know what? Shane Haste here had a good showing with Zack Sabre Jr. And I'm going to come out here. I'm going to jump right in here. I'm going to tell you. Shane Haste underrated wrestler not underappreciated underrated I don't think uh, I don't think folks pay enough attention to what he's capable of doing he was a standout in this match and bad dude Tito is no slouch either right landing some great offense Tai Chi does sumo and lands an X-bomber Zack Sabre Jr. lands the Euro clutch for the win Starting to set, and this was a bit of the theme of the show here as well. We're starting to set things up, starting to to get uh to to position the the favorites for World Tag League, which is going to be coming up in a couple of weeks here. Um, so uh, so you know, Dangerous Techers, they're a well-oiled, well-formed tag team, former IWGP tag team champions as well. So you know, it's, they get a big win here. There's clearly. The, the, the message here that we're sending, the story that we're saying is that there's still contenders not to be trifled with. We got a six-man tag match between Hikaleo, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Taguchi as they defeated the House of Torture crew of Evil, Show and Yujiro Takahashi. It's pretty much what you'd expect out of a House of Torture match. Taguchi does a lot of dick and ass moves here uh straight jacket pile driver by show who also uses the wrench in the match but hikaleo comes through in the end and choke slams show for picks up the win for the team good for him because he's going to be facing carl anderson in the upcoming shows in november uh the burning spirit shows if i'm not mistaken is what they're called carl anderson who's currently uh, right now in wwe and so forth well you know he, Hikaleo's up next. And this is what I think they're doing. Because, uh, well, look, I'll, I'll talk about it later when we start talking about um, Wrestle Kingdom. We'll get there. Um, fun little match again. Uh, good for him. The United MP 
vampire duo of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeated Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. More tag action here with two of the most consistent tag teams in Nuge's diverse tag team division. It's always the same guys, you know, that's the thing. But, um, uh, but yeah, uh, Goto and Yoshihashi get beaten again here by the by the United Empire, who have also defeated Chase Owens and Bad Luck Folly, was another team, um, another standardized team. Um, so, uh, so the thing here, commentary was putting over that Okan and Cobb have established themselves as established a number one contendership for the IWGP Tag Team Champions, uh, which is of course FTR. So does this mean that we are going to be getting uh, United Empire FTR that it might happen before the Tag League? It would kind of suck because I kind of feel that that would mean that FTR will probably drop the titles, which is something that I don't necessarily... Because I would really like FTR in World Tag League and I'm pretty sure Dax Harwood would like that too. And we'll see. The LIJ crew of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Sanada, and Tetsuya Naito defeated the United Empire clan made up of Aaron Hanari, Francesco Akira, TJP, and Will Ospreay. Fun little venture here, which is usually the case with the uh, with the LIJ um, uh, with the LIJ stuff. Um, Fun exchanges between Naito and and uh, Will Ospreay and the juniors as well. Hanari is still being positioned as a big, uh, strong dude, uh, so that's always cool that they're, they're that they're that they keep that going for him. Towards the end of the match, though, there's a masked man who shows up out of nowhere, starts attacking the undisputed, uh, uh, excuse me, the United Empire guys, which allows then Bushi to get the win. And after the match, he unmasks himself to reveal himself to be none other than CMLL's Titan, who has also competed multiple times in New Japan, multiple times in uh, the Best of Super Juniors tournament as well. And he asks to join LIJ right there on the spot. He's like, hey, I'd like, I want in. Let me in. LIJ sort of look around, they talk it out, and they they go to a vote. They do the fist bump thing, and everyone puts their fists in. I'll I'll tell you, I felt like Hiromu was a little off. Hiromu was like, "All right, what are we doing? Are we really doing this?" Okay, his facial expressions weren't quite as convinced as some of the other guys, but Titan is apparently a full on, fully fledged member of um of uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón can't say I saw that coming so the you know there's a you know the other thing that that makes you wonder here cuz you know Bushi seemed really happy for him to be there and so it kind of makes you wonder this is this a sign cuz you know we, I, how long have we been talking about this but let's keep talking about it is this a sign that um, that Hiromu is leaving the junior division? Is he going to start bulking up? Is he going to be? Is he going to uh, El Fantasmo himself? 
and join the heavyweights. It's not entirely impossible if you ask me. I think it is I think it is absolutely a possibility. It's something that we've been looking keeping an eye out for a long time at this point. I think it's possible. I think it's I think it's entirely uh I think it makes a lot of sense for it to be to, to for for that to happen. Well, again, we'll see how things develop, but Titan is an LIJ now. Then we go to the uh, to the intermission, and during the intermission, New Japan Pro Wrestling formally introduced the New Japan Pro Wrestling World Television Championship. President T- Takami Obari noted, who was there, noted that this would be a championship aimed for younger talent with an emphasis on speed. And uh, the title would be defended in 15-minute time limits that would be held... Uh, on each uh, on each card and title matches will be posted on New Japan social media accounts for free. So YouTube, whatever those these matches um, for the for the uh, TV title will be available for free, which is pretty cool. And the tournament is going to begin on October 15. The brackets have been uh, revealed. It's a single. Uh, it's a single. Uh, elimination knockout tournament it's going to start off with David Finley versus Yoshinobu Kanemaru uh, and Alex Zane that they're bringing in for this versus Zack Sabre Jr. that's going to be on the 14th Yoshihashi versus Jeff Cobb and Aaron Hanare versus Evil on the 15th then on the 16th we're going to have Sonata versus Taichi and Hiroki Goto versus Kenta then we're going to skip 10 days ahead on October 26th Ren Narita versus Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano versus the Great Okan. That's the layout for the tournament here. Um, and the winner or the finals of the tournament are going to be held at Wrestle Kingdom. Now I find it interesting though because there's, uh, <laughs> you know, for the, the president of New Japan says, you know, this would be a, a, a title made for, aimed towards younger talent, right? With an emphasis on speed. I just read you out the names there. And when he said that, before the blackets were revealed, I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to have some young lions in here. We're going to have some really some of the younger guys in here. Some of the guys who are greatly underappreciated and so on and so forth. But there's like eight guys over 40 in this 16-man tournament. There's six guys between 30 and 40. Only two wrestlers are under 30. So much for all these young whippersnappers. It's, it, it's weird. It's, but look, here's the thing. It's like, I feel like in any tournament, if you want it to feel special... You get your, you know, you get you get your names in. You get the, you know, you 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 build up. You make it look special by bringing in the big names, by bringing in the top people, right? I think that's 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 a good way to go. It's like the TNT title. Cody won it at first, made it feel prestigious out the gate. So you know, if you have if you have guys like uh, like Zack Saber Jr. in here, you have guys like Tomohiro Ishii in here. Uh, it makes it feel a little more special. Great Okan. 
I'd be shocked if it's anyone else than Ren Narita who wins. I'm going to be completely honest. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I hope this tournament, this title moving forward is a showcase more for, uh, for more of the younger guys than everyone else who's, um, who's included in here. I, cause you know, there, there's still the never title around there, but I, I think it's good. You know, it, New Japan a couple of months ago when they held their press conference and they were saying, you know, we're looking at new ways to get uh, people, you know, people into New Japan faster, younger, younger and faster into the company uh, because they do realize that they have an, an aging problem, right? Uh, you know, I'm not kidding when I said there's eight people in this tournament who are over 40. You know, Yoshihashi is 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 40. Yoshinobu Kanemaru's 46. Um, Hiroki Goto's 43. Kenta's 41. Ishii's 46. Yano's 44. There's some old guys still doing the rounds, and and good on them that they're still having thriving careers. Don't get me wrong. But it, it, it's interesting because it sort of goes against what they wanted with this uh, with this belt to begin with. I'll talk more about it as we go along, and I'll keep it on this tournament. They'll probably be breaking. I'll be breaking it down a little more because, as you know, I love me some tournament wrestling. Then we had a singles match between Master Wato and Taiji Ishimori. Uh, Taiji Ishimori was supposed to defend the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against Kushida, but Kushida uh, had to pull out because he got foot-to-mouth disease. And Wato stepped up, but this turned out to be non-title. Commentary put out throughout this entire match put over the fact that Wato uh, was inexperienced and maybe wasn't ready to be in this spot. Well, guess what? He won the match. Wato did. Fun fun match. Well worked. It, it, it was all right. Story here is after the match. You have, as Master Wato is staking his claim on the IWGP Junior title, Hiromu Takahashi runs in, grabs the mic to stake his claim on it, but then El Desperado runs in to stake his claim on it. And what does Taichi Shimori do? He says, okay, guys. Let's just have ourselves a good old-fashioned fatal four-way. Didn't call it a fatal four-way, but that's, you know, a four-way match that they're setting up for Wrestle Kingdom. So that's what's uh, to be expected on the junior side for Wrestle Kingdom. Then we had a King of Pro Wrestling title uh, match. Who, a, a Who's Your Daddy match between Shingo Takagi and El Fantasmo. They had had some uh, fairly entertaining back and forth uh, between the both of them as to who's your daddy. And this was a lot of fun. And for a stupid gimmick, I think this worked out really perfectly because it works, it works really well because El Fantasmo is such a, a goof, you know, such an over-the-top performer. Shingo is a bit of an embodiment of, you know, just a badass Yet, he played along so wonderfully in this situation. Everything just connected. And as commentary pointed out as well, this had a lot more to do than just the, the trophy and the who's your daddy stuff. But, it, you know, Shingo Takagi got his G1 fucked up because of El Fantasmo beating him. I like this match a lot. I thought it was a good, strong match. Head scissors by El Fantasmo, then he gets stomped by Shingo. 
a dive by ELP and an Orihara Moonsault as well. Springboard Senton followed by a Springboard Moonsault by Phantasmo. Shingo catches Phantasmo off of a Springboard, hoists him up on his shoulders, DVD. Phantasmo hits the UFO and a Springboard Avalanche Rana as well. Thunder Kiss 86, just fantastic stuff. I'm telling you guys. Telling you guys about El Phantasmo. It's about time you start paying attention. He locks in the CR2 and hits it, but Shingo kicks out. He tries to go for the CR3, but Shingo transitions into a Made in Japan, which ruled. Shingo hits the CR3, though. He hits it. Phantasmo kicks out. Shingo twists ELP up into a submission for the win. And then after the match, there's a really good moment where Shingo is getting ELP to say, Shingo is my daddy with a microphone. And Shingo, and, and ELP's like, Shingo's my daddy. Shingo's my daddy. He has him wear a t-shirt. Puts on it. Has a pacifier. Takes pictures. Then I'll sit here for the and And Shingo's directing traffic. He's like, no, no, you come here. Come here. You sit here. And... The comedy, look, the, the comedy here was spot on. Was spot on, and it didn't detract from the match. The match worked really well, and everything around it just wrapped it up really well. But after the match, ELP attacks Shingo, so we're not done. He destroys the trophy, so we're not done with this. We're not done with this feud, and I am okay with it. I think El Fantasmo and Shingo have great chemistry. I like this feud. I like these two guys together. It's fresh and it's good. Kazuchika Okada defeated Jonah in a match that rocked. I would call it my match of the night. Okada is so good in these matches. It's so good in these overwhelming uh, power matches. He's so good. Okada can't get him down. Jonah's the immovable object. He finally does with a drop toe hold and an elbow drop. He does the running shoulder tack, but you know, Jonah gets in control and Jonah does the running shoulder tackle off the apron. And then a running razor's edge on the floor lands uh, uh, Okada right in the post. Then he works over the back. He, man he manhandles Okada, really. Uh, Jonah hits a spear and a suplex, goes up top, flies off into a drop kick from Okada, which was just great. The Rainmaker is reversed into a German suplex and a beast bomb. Jonah goes up top for the to torpedo. Okada rolls out of the way. We get some strikes, some lariats, a shotgun drop, ki drop kick. Okada raises Jonah up for the landslide and hits it. Lands the Rainmaker. Okada wins. Perfectly done. I enjoyed this match tremendously. Jonah looks great. He looks great and he has a great record in New Japan on top of that and he's only getting beaten by the top guy in the company. What more do you want? Just fantastic. Fantastic stuff. And in our main event, we had the IWGP World Heavyweight title match happen where champion Jay White successfully defended his title against Tama Tonga. This was a very good match that continues to show 
that the Tama Tonga babyface run is working. I've been excited for it since he got kicked out of Bullet Club. And every time he hits the ring, every time he's a little more babyface, he's a little more confident, he's a little more everything that the audience wants. Now the audience is starting is starting to be able to react now so you can get it. You can see that they're getting behind them. Great explosive offense from Tamatanga to begin with. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a signature. And Tamatanga doesn't want to go to the floor. When, when Jay White rolls out, he rolls him back in. White, though, eventually lands an exploder that sends Tamatanga to the floor and Jay White goes hard on him. On the floor and white is in control until a drop kick is landed and we get some of more of that super explosive offense that makes tomatonga such a good baby face what do you want from me a stinger splash splash in there as well a blade buster by jay white uh tomatonga hits a tongue and twist to stymie jay white and allow him to catch a breather they go to the floor and tomatonga hits another tongue and twist on the floor Jay is in this match. He's so he's so perfectly arrogant, you know, emoting the whole entire way. Like everyone is just in his way to winning a title. You know what I mean? Like he's just like, and he's so good at it. He's so good at being this shit heel, this bastard who's just on just on top of things too much. And he's so good and it's frustrating, but we love him. There's a stun gun attempt by Tamatanga that's, that ends in a ref bump. So Tamatanga eats a low blow. Jay White gets a chair, but he eats a low blow in return from Tamatanga. Um, and Tamatanga has the chair, has a crisis of conscience, but doesn't use the chair. He has, he has turned the page. They throw chops at each other, something fierce. They're spent. They're exhausted. But yet, Jay White deadlift Germans, Tama Tonga. He goes for a blade runner. It's reversed by Tama, by Tama into a bloody Sunday. Shout out, Finn Balor. Gun stun is blocked, goes for another one. Jay White leaps up and leg locks his arms, taking him down, just fantastic stuff, and starts elbowing him. And Jay White is another guy who every time that you see him wrestle is adding something new. Crossed arm bloody Sunday by Jay White follows. Shout out Finn Balor. He has this one. Jay White has this match won, but he eggs Tamatanga to get back up. And he gets back up Tries to hit a gun stun on him, but Tamatanga hits one of his own. He covers, White kicks out. Follow up with the Ninziguri by Tamatanga, who blo blocks a Blade Runner attempt, hits a dragon suplex, goes for a second rope gun stun, but Jay White catches him into a Blade Runner. And that, you know what that means. It's done. Jay White retains in a fantastic main event this one went 30 minutes just a little over 30 i would dare anyone to compare this this exciting match with uh the 30 minute match that happened at uh extreme rules and you will see what i mean when i talk about 
when, when I talk about a story being completely circumvented with of a match being completely circumvented by the ending that had nothing to do with what we saw. Everything built to this wonderful moment here. Just fantastic. Fantastic storytelling throughout. Great main event. And then after the match, Kazuchika Okada comes out after Jay White does his celebratory uh, uh, promo to confirm that the main event of Wrestle Kingdom this well, next year in January is going to be Kazuchika Okada versus Jay White for the IWGP uh, heavyweight title. And uh, and I know uh, in the in the New Japan community of fans, there was a, a, a resounding groan where somehow people were maybe expecting something a little different, a little, you know, a little refresher. Oh, here we go again. But look, 50th year, why wouldn't... Look, it started with Okada as the champion for the 50th year of New Japan. Okada's the star. He's the man of the company. He's the face. You'll end your year with him as the champion and move on to a brand new 51st with him as... I mean, it just it just makes sense. And especially in the wake of Antonio Inoki passing away, why would you go for anything else than the guy who legitimately represents the company, represents the fighting spirit, who still has the youth, who still has the talent who is still considered to be one of the top wrestlers in the world right now. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of prejudice in regards to Jay White as well, where people are like, well, he's boring, he's boring. Anyone, if you have seen Jay, Jay White wrestle in 2022, I think you can say without much, um, uh, unless you're you're extremely biased, of course, you can't say that he is the same guy from 2020, because as I said, Jay White now is in a position where he he works hard. He's working harder than ever. He's in he's in the sh- the best shape of his career, and he's always pulling out new things in his matches. He's always trying out new stuff. I'm excited to, for this because I feel like it's going to it's going to be another chapter. In a long-storied feud between these two of two guys who just just don't like each other. Who just never liked each other. That, you know, Jay White turned his back on uh, on Okada. Fucked him over in chaos and was like, all right, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm doing my own thing now. I'm Bullet Club, actually. I'm actually going to be the leader of Bullet Club. How about them apples? It's a good story. And it's going to be a really good next chapter because of, look, Okada's one of the greatest in the world, in the world. And, and Jay White has so much more variety as he did. So I think this is where we're going. Right now, these are, so we know two matches from the card, Jay White, Okada. We also, as I mentioned earlier, Taiji Ishimori, Hiromu Takahashi, Master Wato, and El Desperado for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Those are the two matches confirmed so far for Wrestle Kingdom this year. I really think that we are going... I think that we are going to get Carl Anderson versus Tama Tonga once again for the Never title 
at uh, at uh, 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 Wrestle Kingdom because the next match that Carl Anderson is going to have is against Hikaleo, who is uh, Tamatanga's uh, kid brother, of course, recently defected from Bullet Club. So I think they're going to put the hurt. When I say they, I mean the Bullet Club. They're going to put the hurt on Hikaleo and Tamatanga is going to come out to sort of settle the score here that he has with Carl Anderson because Carl Anderson fucked him out of the never open weight title. So all of the, before the G1, right? So all of this is still very open, very raw still. It's, we it hasn't been hasn't been settled. And uh well they're eventually going to look if Carl Anderson is going to go check go cash those big big sweet meaty meaty tasty uh, uh Connecticut checks. Well, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to drop the title at some point and get the hell out of Dodge. That's what I think. So I, I yeah, you know, I feel like Carl Anderson. That's what I feel. I feel Carl Anderson and um, uh, Carl Anderson and Hikaleo is probably gonna set up, be set up after the the next set of matches uh, shows coming up. Uh, and um, I really think there might be. One or two AEW people on the card as well. I would not be, I would not be shocked if uh, if we ended up getting a uh, a Brian Danielson on this card in some shape or another, perhaps versus a Zack Saber Jr. The match that we got uh, that we got cheated out of at uh, Forbidden Door this year. I'd be shocked. There's a there there's a lot of them. There's a, there there's there's a lot of dream matches. That are still out there between the AEW and New Japan crews. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see if we saw uh, Great Muda uh, show up on uh, Keiji Muda. Wouldn't be surprised to see him show up, have a match. Wouldn't be surprised. Well, on that note, I will say hello to Matt Ritter of the Smackin' It Raw podcast. Who, yes. Just made it in right on time, so we could talk about uh, so we could talk about uh, the, the Great Ocon. <laughs> Although we are not talking about uh, magic, mystical iron claws, because we are wrapping up the weekly wrestling inspection. <laughs> Woo! So that about wraps it up. For this week's edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. Uh, the second to last before we move to Tuesday. So again, next Thursday we'll be back probably around 7 p.m. again. Eastern uh, to start things off. Uh, I'm going to do the recording uh, per usual. So that'll be a fun thing. But the week after that, don't worry and I'll remind all of you. The week after that, we will be moving to Tuesdays uh, at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, because I feel like it in the meantime i want to thank everyone for joining me look if you haven't already and you're watching this video on demand leave a like i'd appreciate it a great deal or leave a uh, a five-star review on apple uh, uh podcast or a five-star rating on spotify those things help grow the podcast tremendously and i'll be excited for that if we get some growth if you know what i'm saying I feel like I feel like these jokes just end up uh, I just end up sounding creepy and it's not even funny. 
So I'll stop now and I will wish you adieu and have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.